Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hip Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. Catherine, I'm talking really fast because we have a really long podcast coming up. <laughs> I listen to every podcast at 1.5 speed. So there you go. So that's going to be really fast. <laughs> I'm coming in super hot. People like us. You don't have to have that much pressure to go fast. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, we if have they a don't really like us, they podcast. just forward through us. They forward through us if they don't like us. Exactly. If they're like, just stop talking and get to the interview. They stop talking anyway. and get to the show. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to stop talking and we're going to get well, to the show. We're not going that fast. I know we're not. I'm just, I'm, come on, play along with me here. <laughs> Christy is like the on it person. Okay. First um, of all, the most important thing about this week when this podcast comes out is we're going to see each other in two days. Yeah. Boom. And you're going to get to meet Celine. Of Celine and- for the first time. <laughs> Yeah. Christy's gonna... like, check, check, check. Get to the check, podcast. Check, check. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, this we will be at the Gone Grappling Festival. It'll be, it'll be real life, in person, blowing stuff up in Bentonville, Arkansas. Not literally blowing <laughs> stuff up. Don't worry, just, Amy. We're not blowing anything up. We're not up. blowing anything up, but we're just going to have so much fun and talk to so many women and meet so many new faces and ride so many miles of gravel and it's just gonna be awesome. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. I'll be on a plane when this comes out. I, I will not be. Cause you're taking, I didn't realize Emporia was so close to Bentonville. Yeah, it's super close. Oh yeah. That makes, that makes sense why you go there more often. Yeah. Just that big sugar. So anyway, okay. I know you want to get to the podcast. So who do we have on the podcast? Molly Cameron. We have the Molly Cameron on the podcast. The Molly, the Cameron. Molly Cameron. Yeah. So if people don't know, uh, Molly is a trans athlete and I know there's a lot of conversations happening in around trans athletes right now. Uh, and maybe some folks that are listening, this is a little bit new to them. So I would just encourage to listen to Molly's story with an open heart. I really loved Molly kind of got into her story a little bit mm-hmm. and what she felt like growing up. And so, um, I would just encourage everybody to listen to this one with an open heart. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Love it. Be sad that you're not with us in Bentonville. If you're listening to this, not coming 
and we'll miss you. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see you somewhere on some gravel miles. Yeah. All right. We're going to go and let you hear Molly Cameron. To live your healthiest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. It provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live a longer, healthier life. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age, which is the rate you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing we love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health, like food, supplements, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. And did you know that you can use your HSA, HRA, and FSA to buy any Inside Tracker plan? Which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax-free dollars. Oh, and it gets better. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with the science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, visit insidetracker.com slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com slash feisty. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Molly. <laughs> Hi, how are you too? We're, we're all, we're all good. We're all coming off big conference weeks. So I think everybody's a little tired, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a good, in, in a really good in way. A, in yeah. a good I mean, way. Um, Christy and I were both at Sea Otter. Yay. Which is, yeah. Uh, ex- uh, upliftingly exhausting. How about that? Yeah. Uplifting, exhausting is that's, that's really good. I think that that's a really, I mean, I think it, you know, this year, well, I guess, first of all, I guess we should talk to talk about who we've got on the show. (laughs) Who is this? Here we go. Here we go. Um, We've got Molly Cameron joining us. Um, Good grief. How do you describe Molly Cameron? (laughs) It's the Molly Cameron. It's the Molly Cameron. She's, she's taking time to talk with us on girls gone gravel. And, and as, as Molly said, we both were at sea otter last week. Um, and really it was, uh, I'd never been, but it was the big bike reunion of all ways, shapes and forms that you could ever imagine. And, and pretty cool. Yeah. So. And I was the other spectrum of sports. I was at a conference at Lumen Field where the Seattle Seahawks play with all the pro sports teams um, in Seattle, which was also cool, but not as not as much of a reunion with bike friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was also the kickoff of the Lifetime Grand Prix, which it was yeah. was really exciting. Okay, well, let's <sighs> Molly. Let's start like if people don't know you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into cycling, kind of all the things. Well, I was born in a, in a small Southern town. I was born in a, I was born in Wichita Falls, Texas, which is the South. Uh, close. It is right on the border of Oklahoma and Texas. And uh, I was the child of a couple of teenagers from the South. My dad uh, had to join the, uh, Air Force. And so I grew up all over the world. I ended up going to high school in Delaware. So I like to say I know how to drive in snow. 
and then ended up in Santa Cruz and San Francisco, which is kind of, and that was in the mid nineties, which is where I kind of transitioned from, you know, I, I played in riot girl and in punk rock bands and I was a skateboarder and I wanted nothing to do with sport at all. And I discovered riding bikes. I broke my foot skateboarding in San Francisco. And then I saw these people riding around on bikes with one gear and no brakes. And I was fascinated. So then I got, got into riding fixed gears and I became a bike messenger in the late nineties. And then of course, liked riding my bike fast, tried, did some alley cats. And then somebody was like, Hey, actually, this is hilarious. First bike race I ever did was at Laguna Seca. Mm. So I had some friends that worked at the bike shop in San Francisco that I was like trying to work at it. And I was lingering around at, and they were like, Hey, we're going to go do this 24 hour race. It's called 24 hours of adrenaline. I was going to say it. We're going to put together a four person team. Now I had never ridden a mountain bike before. I'd never like done a sanctioned race, anything beyond like a messenger alley cat race. And so we all drove down to, to Monterey, which is where we were just at to sea otter to Laguna Seca raceway and did the 24 hours of adrenaline. And, you know, it was great, which, kind of segues to my adult life because you know that was like we were it was a four-person team we were doing like we were turning like 40 minute laps or something out there on mountain bikes and uh i ended up moving to portland in 2001 and i opened a bike shop and when i opened the bike shop my driving imperative besides being a you know anti-capitalist punk rocker with you know, um, high ethics. I mean, I literally opened my bike shop and I was like, I don't want to buy anything from China. I only want to use U.S. components and buy from U.S. companies and sustainability and all these things were front and center. And then very quickly, the reality of owning a small retail, you know, brick and mortar shop in the United States yeah. and making it profitable and being able to pay staff and, you know, payroll and rent and bills came up and I was like, okay. So I opened up a little punk rock bike shop and always wanted to just get more women specifically women into bike racing. I mean, our, our kids have always had support women in cycling even before, I mean, this is before hashtags and social media and the internet and stuff like it wasn't a thing, but I just printed that on our jerseys and our bib shorts. Everything said like, you know, my shop was called the Velo shop and it was like support women in cycling. And I just was like, I don't care what discipline you ride or race, or if you even race, like we just need to bring more women in more women. in. so this is 2001. That was my driving imperative was like, I'm starting a bike shop because I couldn't get a job in Portland because I'm transgender. Um, this is kind of an aside, but that's why I ended up starting my own shop. I mean, there are, I won't name names, but there are shops in Portland that still exist and service managers and owners and managers at those shops that laughed in my face when I walked in with a resume in 2001. I said, you know, hey, my name's Molly. I have a bunch of experience. I, you know, I'd love to be a mechanic at your bike shop. And, you know, none of them would hire me. And I did that song and dance for a year or so. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to start fixing bikes out of my garage. And then that turned into me getting a storefront and supporting women cycling. So from 2001 till the present day, I've run a brick and mortar, re, you know, a, a bike shop and then a bike fitting studio and kind of performance training center. And I've always had a women's team and it has ebbed and flowed between a, you know, a well-funded professional women's mostly road and, you know, and back in the day, gravel and road and mountain bike racing team. Um, and I've raced professionally. I've raced, you know, in Europe and, and in Asia. And I've raced, you know, uh, mostly cyclocross. I did some pro road and mountain bike racing. And with the bike shop, I never had enough time to go and do it. Um, mm. But I have raced professional uh, men's and women's races, you know, and uh, raced at the world level in cyclocross. 
Um, and now let's see the last couple of years have seen me uh, pivoting heavily into advocacy and, you know, uh, activism and the LGBTQ space and the outdoor industry and then sports um, specifically because, I mean, it's 2002, oh, gosh, it's 2022. <laughs> and the last, you know, the last two years I could find a, a metric to spit at you, but you know, for the last decade or so, there's been like a couple dozen anti-LGBTQ pieces of legislation mm-hmm. for the entire United States a year, a couple dozen, if even a dozen. In the last two years, there's been, I mean, I think last year there were close to 200 and this year there's hundreds of anti-LGBTQ targeted uh, pieces of legislation that are, you know, becoming law in states. Um, so, Right now, um, I work for Shimano North America. I'm still a professional athlete. I ride Niner bikes and, you know, I have a bunch of other, you know, Envy Composites has been a long-time partnership and a bunch of other brands. So I work advocating for marginalized communities uh, within cycling and sport. Niner's new, is that right? Yeah, I just, I'm going to start riding Niner bikes this year. That's I got an e-gravel bike, which... I am exhausted because I rode to the coast and back from Petaluma and it took me three or four hours and it was incredible. Like the e-bike, it's insane. It's opening up a whole new world of kind of riding opportunities and just a different way to approach riding bikes. And it was still hard as hell. I mean, I'm exhausted from that ride and I went really hard. What, I mean, you mentioned in the last few years, the ramp up in all of those, all of the legislation targeting transgender, LGBTQ people, I mean, not athletes, but just people, as you've been advocating against that and making people aware, do you feel there's anything you can kind of pinpoint to where the pivot was that really caused the rise Mm. in all of that? I mean, it went from, you know, of course, like you said, dozens to hundreds and hundreds over the course of two years. Um, I think that it did surprise me last year when, you know, there was just this was like wildfire and all of a sudden there's mm-hmm. dozens of pieces of like just this horrible, hateful, truly damaging and like discriminatory legislation. And I was like, what the hell, where's this coming from? And someone else pointed out that the right is really struggling for relevancy. They don't have a lot of base positions that make any sense anymore. So, you know, to stoke their base and to kind of maintain relevancy, they are targeting abortion and women's rights and, you know, minorities. And then of course the gays and the LGBTQ communities get tossed in there too. It's wild because you would have thought that in the four years of the Trump Trump presidency, that a lot of this stuff, because, you know, because the politics were, were, you know, they had a um, kook of a right-wing president you figured it would be more under more attack then, but I think it is kind of directly in response to Trump losing the presidency that mm-hmm. the right really was like, we got to come up with reasons to make our voters care or make, you know, play to our constituents and our base. I, but honestly, I really have no clue. I mean, I think it is unfortunately coincides with the rise in trans awareness and, mm-hmm. you know, um, accessibility to healthcare. Um, Jeez, you know, it's just, it is a weird intersectional time where it's they're easy targets. I mean, transgender folks are easy targets and kind of always have been. 
And now's the time when they're on the offense because they don't have the presidency anymore or control of the, mm-hmm. uh, wow. of yeah. House or Senate or whatever. I think that's mostly it. I'm going to admit I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a professional politician. So take right. this all with a grain of salt. That's my. Well, there's a really good episode of the daily that came out about a year ago. And it talked about, there was a play that was made. Um, Cause it, it, it follows the same like pattern as Roe v. Wade, right. Where abortion wasn't really an issue in our country. Mm. And then the religious uh. right was like, we need an issue to rally around. And so they took that issue and then that became the Roe v. Wade and it, it kind of became the defining issue. Um, and then, so then several years ago, remember when the bathroom bans were going on and the NCAA was uh, be, um, uh, boycotting Charlotte. And so mm-hmm. they tried to go through the bathroom bans, right. but they were like, oh, the bathroom bans backfired. But if we go after sports, girls in sport, and we can go after right. the conversation of it not being fair, then people respond to that. Um, and that was, that was kind of like the, it's it like, from what I understand, it's very much a rallying point. And I think you're also correct in that now more people are comfortable in the last couple of years saying, this is who I am. And I'm going to, I'm not going to hide anymore. Like we, there's a general tone of awareness and diversity and inclusion in our country that wasn't there um, pre COVID, I think. So I also think that the Trump presidency absolutely enabled people to do the opposite and say really horrible, hateful things. I mean, it's not even about PC or this kind of myth of cancel culture anymore. It's just like, you can say the most insane stuff right now and it's, it'll fly. You're not going to lose your office. You're not going to lose your job as an executive at a corporation. Like you can say like horrible, horrible, racist, you know, misogynist, homophobic, transphobic stuff. And you can get away with it now. I mean, that's really the biggest thing that Trump did was it emboldened, you know, it emboldened the like right-wing coup, deep state, wingnut conspiracy theorists and then it also enraged you know the far left folks that mm-hmm. take every little slight or misstep as like an assault which you know many times it isn't when you're killing black folks yeah it's an assault on your lives you know but um yeah things are just so heightened and now everybody's it, it, this is like the space that i exist in and i think it's where i've found a lot of success certainly in sport and in you know, cycling in the outdoor industry is like, I'm here to really have a conversation and we're not going to get so extreme on it and bringing people like back and just being like, this isn't, you know, everything feels crazy. I mean, I'm telling you, I said this even this week, you know, like everything just like the world is burning, you know, the world's at war, everything is on fire, everything is horrible and the world's crashing down. But I'm like, we've got to still navigate this and we still have to, you know, I say all the time, I'll talk to anybody. I don't care if you're right-wing coot, left-wing crazy, whatever, as long as we're not getting into hate or just spouting lies or bullshit science, like we can have real conversations because we have to work together, you know, like we have to function and like, you know, as much as some people want it, society isn't crumbling. Aspects of it are changing. And that's, I'm like trying to embrace that. Say, okay, aspects of this are changing, not always the way we want, but we need to embrace the change and figure out how to work within it or fight against it and change it in the ways we want to see. Yeah. I would love if you are open to it for you to tell us a little bit more, just like your personal story. Like what was it like for you to, to realize um, that you didn't identify as your gender and to come out and like, cause I think like sometimes it's an issue rather than a person for people. Right. And I'd love for people to hear maybe a little more of who you are as a person. Yeah. Well, um, 
you know, I grew up, my parents literally were poor teenagers. They worked at fast food restaurants and neither of them, I don't, neither of them hold college degrees. I think they had me when they were both 18 and, you know, it was just the thing you did when, I mean, my mom was born in Texas. My dad was born in Arkansas and they weren't neither of them. I mean, they were both total like, I mean, it was 1975 or six, like I was born in 76. Um, so just for context, you know, they were, I just, I can't, I personally can't imagine having a kid that young in my 20s. I was, you know, I was a mess till I was in my thirties and even in my thirties, I didn't have my shit together. Um, and so he joined the air force and in the air force was don't ask, don't tell. So, uh, I lived with my parents. They split up when we lived in Belgium. My dad and I drove to Turkey. I lived there in Turkey with them for a year or two before the first Gulf War. And then they shipped, they had to ship everybody out of Turkey or where, you know, because the war was about to start. And I went to Delaware and lived with my mom. And then I went to high school. Um, the context there is that like, oh, I, I hate cliche things. Like I always knew I was different, but a lot of it comes from my mother who's now deceased. Uh, but you know, whenever I came out to my parents pretty quick, as soon as I started realizing what I was going through, um, and this was in the mid nineties, you know, after I'd moved out and everything. And she was like, you know, you always were playing with girls toys. You never wanted to do, you know, there are a lot of things. She was even like, if you were a girl and when you came out, we were going to name you Molly, which was funny because I had, when I did change my name in the mid nineties, I changed it to Molly and it just, was right it just felt right it was the name i wanted to, you know it was what i chose and you know my mom told me that later when i came out and i came up to her and it was just really cute and hilarious and um the don't ask don't tell thing was a really damaging thing for me because i really didn't have any language to talk about any of this well into my late 20s i mean it's mid-20s for sure i, I moved you know, I, I was in high school and then I ended up moving to the West Coast, moved to Santa Cruz and then San Francisco by 96. And like, I knew fact, at that point, I knew that like what gay was and stuff. But before that, like in my teens, like, and into my very early 20s, like, I knew fag was a slur, you know, I knew lesbian and dyke, but like, I just didn't really know what the hell that was. You know, I didn't, I just, it, you know, it's, it's hard now to think back to that time when I was a teenager or a young, an adolescent or a young adult and like, I didn't have language for it. I had no clue what I was doing. I thought I was gay mm. for a long time. I like, tried dating guys and I was like, eh, it's okay. I don't know. Men are shit. And it's really annoying. And, it, and I was like, this isn't it, you know, like this isn't it. And I really did struggle with my identity. I mean, there's, I remember being young and having conversations with my dad and like, but I didn't have a language for it. Right. I didn't. So it's hard because I don't want to say something like I always knew I was trans because I didn't even know what the hell that was. I didn't know right. what trans transgender or even, you know, old terms like transsexual or transvestite. I didn't know what any of that was until I moved to San Francisco. So like visually we would see them, right? Like in, in movies and media on MTV back in the ni- early nineties, right? You would see this stuff, cross dressers or whatever. It's like, you know, and it wasn't until the late nineties, like Ellen came out. Right. And that was a big deal. Uh, so I had no clue what any of this was. And this is like what I'm seeing now is because children and kids and their parents and everybody have access to all this information and exposure to all these like different identities, like it's all fine and cool. I would have been able to like self-identify and, and kind of to terms with myself a hell of a lot sooner, Yeah, you know, but literally it took me moving to the West coast 
And then I ended up like getting a bunch of therapy and figuring stuff out. And it wasn't even like a therapist that told me like, Hey, maybe you're transgender. You know, it was really just a lot of self-exploration and then just being like, Holy shit. Like I just like, I, it's, I almost feel like crazy saying it, you know, like I just identify as a woman and there's like no way there's like, even now I don't have a like way to justify that or explain it. Right. Right. And it's fucking crazy. Like, and it, not, in a, not in a bad way. I just like, yeah, don't ask, don't tell back to that point. It's just like, I didn't have any help with this. And again, like bless my parents' heart, my dad and, and my mom, before she passed away, we have a really good relationship and they're like really happy for me. And like, you know, they, they struggled. My mom didn't struggle with it. My dad didn't, he struggled with it, but mostly with me coming out and transitioning and being like, Hey, you know, it's not that I'm gay. I'm not just gay. Like, you know, uh, yeah. Like I'm, I'm, identify as a woman my dad was just like well just let me know if you're gonna show up with like fake boobs or whatever i just want to know what i'm getting you know what i'm getting into. it was a very like practical <laughs> which in like in a loving way like in a totally loving way he was just like you know i just want to be prepared because i have half brothers from the second marriage you know and he's like yeah i just want to know like whenever you come and visit like you know just so that like it's not a big shock and i'm like you know like in a way that's fair offensive, enough yeah. but like also i'm like sure people want to know what they're getting and what they're getting into and like even your parents you know they just sort of you know, like hey like we love you we're, we're really happy that you're dealing with this we support you no matter what you know um yeah so you know i think one piece i didn't say early in the intro is like i i gosh i couldn't even put a date i mean it was the later 90s when i really started dealing with this and at the same time i had started bike racing so when I was a bike messenger in, in San Francisco, I was much more femmy. It's, what's funny is this is the longest my hair has been in 20 years. I had long hair and a ponytail. I definitely wore a little makeup. I was much because I was figuring this out. And I think something that happens a lot when you're going through and working out your identity, it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're a teenager or a young kid or in a, you know, when you're 50 or 60 years old, you really sometimes can feel the need to like put it on overdrive and really show mm-hmm. the world. And, and I, and, and not saying that's a good or bad thing, you know, like that can be a period of transition. Not everybody goes through that, but a lot of people do. And they really want to show the world and shout out to everybody. Like, Hey, I'm non-binary. Hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a guy now, or Hey, I'm a female, or, you know, whatever your gender identity is. You want to shout out to the world because you really need that validation. <clears throat> and you know, I definitely like wore shirt, little mini skirts and w- with spandex underneath when I was messengering. And part of this too was like me figuring out my identity in, in cycling, right? I had just discovered bikes in the late nineties and in San Francisco in the Bay area. And like I dabbled. And so I did some women's road racing and crits. And I got like dropped and shelled at all of them. And then I also got heckled. I mean, I had dudes yelling crossdresser and faggot and all sorts of crazy slurs to me. Like when I'm like in a crit, like santa rosa crit you know the fremont crit like all these local races here in the bay area and there were one or two other trans women that i don't even want to say they're closeted or they were open oh gosh i'd have to remember who the hell they were but i knew that there was like another trans woman that was in the bay area and race road and was active um my rambling point was that when i kind of came to terms with this i was also like figuring out my place in bikes and I hated it. I hated it. I didn't want to race with men. Uh, and then when I would race the women, I would get shit and it was super toxic. And, you know, I'd started taking hormones. Uh, that's a whole, you know, you're going through a second puberty. That's a whole nother emotional roller coaster. 
and um but i was always open about who i was you know like i was out and i've been out since you know i don't even 96 or probably 97 or 8 uh when i changed my name and and there's a lot of people that know me from the bay area back then <clears throat> whether from messengering or like my early early bike racer days um and for the most part they've all been like really respectful and conscious and i have some really good friends now you know um my buddy roman killen and martina patella where we were all kind of younger bike racers in the late 90s in the bay area and like yeah it's wild uh i don't know i could ramble on but i've always been really open and out about who i am and then you know i started to get into bikes and bike racing and then it was too much because i was like transitioning changed my name and randomly ended up moving to portland i mean I, the, the port san francisco is the longest i've been in any one city and it was mm -hmm. five years and i every two or three years of my life since i was born we would move and so moving was normal for me and i i i did a apartment swap with a friend that was friends with my house with my flatmates in san francisco and i went to her converted barn in portland and i hated the rain but i was like well shit i can play music here i can you know i can skateboard i can ride bikes and there's a good local race scene there's a velodrome right in town and i was like i might just stick it out through the summer and see how it goes and so for the first couple of years 01 and 02 i was basically kind of spilling time between uh portland and san francisco because i couldn't get a job in portland and i hadn't yet started my own business and i would come down here and work at the it was called ye old bike shop and now it's uh turned into box dog i think bought the space or running up the space in the mission and i think box dog is still a shop is still there anyways um yeah and then i moved to portland and then once i started my shop i was like kind of stuck and i hate the gray dreary days and yeah. the cold and the wet um and I actually quit bike racing because I hated it. It was so, it felt so toxic and I didn't want to race with men. Um, I, I felt more, you know, it had been a few years and I was really starting to come into my own, my own identity and really feel confident and self-confident in that. But making my way in cycling was just a mess. And I was like easier to not race than like deal with the bullshit. Um, and the hate and like, you know, the discrimination and the weird shit. And then uh, even the rules then too, that's what's different now is the rules for participation, particularly in elite sport versus amateur, which is basically like category two in road racing and mountain biking, you know, there's a category system and five is beginner. One is basically professional. And so once you get to the category one and two level, the rules participation with IOC and the USA cycling were different in the very early nineties, or sorry, in the very early 2000s. And so at, at, very, at a point, I, was, I got back into racing in Portland, Oregon, because it was really accessible. I could go race at the track and it wasn't gendered. They just had like the A race and the B race. And so I could hop in the A race, race with men and women that were racing and it was fine. Um, and then I started getting back into racing a little. And even like the weekday training crits weren't gendered. You know, they just had the the category one, two, three race and the three, four race. And so I would just do the one, two, three race, you know, and I was on hormones and doing everything. And, and, you know, then I started racing in women's only races and like had myth, mixed success. Mostly I would get dropped and lose everyone. You know, I, I, I laugh because I'm as competitive as I am in any category. Like, you know, I'm, I'm 
pretty very strong regionally and locally um competitive on the national level and then at the world level i get my ass kicked and it was the same <laughs> doing women's races you know like yeah like regionally i was pretty strong you know and i could make a podium nationally man if it played to my strengths and it was the right race and it suited me maybe i could get on a podium um yeah but somebody ended up people ended up complaining in oregon Oregon Bike Racing Association and the rules at the time were it didn't matter what hormones you want so testosterone and all this stuff didn't fucking matter you just had to have the gen the gen the genital surgery literally that was the rule and that was from the IOC huh. and then to USA Cycling and then to regional associations like OBRA or whoever else yeah they were like we need to see proof that you have a vagina basically like word up at a race I was at a race and someone was screaming at me this like 56 year old white lady was screaming across the parking lot. You're not a fucking woman, you know? And here I am like, it's been some years. So I'm used to dealing with it a bit, but also I'm mortified. And I'm just like, I just want to race my bike. My competitors don't fucking care. At least to my face. They're like, this is fine. We've been racing all this local stuff together. What's the fucking issue. But this older woman screaming, screaming, screaming. And then uh, you're not a fucking woman. And then, you know, the director of the Oregon Bike Race Association pulled me aside and we had emailed a bunch before and she was like, look, support and hate for you is split about 50-50. Um, but USA Cycling and the IOC were going to follow their rules and they say you have to have a vagina. You have to have a doctor's note that shows you had the surgery. And so the rationale for that too was that generally at that time, anywhere in the world, um, to get gender reassignment surgery, you have had to have been on you know, the regimen of hormones one would take to do a traditional male to female transition, you know, which is like medically and traditionally you take a testosterone blocker, you take estrogen or, you know, different types, you get your blood and all of your, you know, the key, you know, genetic markers that they can, that they use down to female normal range. And then after you do that, for a year, you know, I don't remember if it was two years, it was, I think it was only like a year or so. And then you would be a candidate for the surgery, right? And the surgery is changing your junk and your crotch. Um, interesting thing to note, and, and I want to drive this home and something to talk about, you know, like transition isn't, and this applies to like all trans folks, you know, like non-binary folks are transgendered folks. Um, transition is not the end all be all for everyone. And there's like various states of transition. And some people will never transition, you know, they don't want to. And so, I mean, you know, some people like, me you know if you see me in spandex at first glance i get it most people think i'm just another bike racer dude in spandex you know and like i'm not gonna say i'm perfectly happy with that but i'm really comfortable in my own skin and happy with that and then part of it is like i can talk to y'all and i'll yeah i'll share this stuff with you but i'm not i don't need to justify like my existence or my identity to like anybody, right. right and that's like a key thing for it doesn't even matter if you're transgender right for women men kids girls boys girls everybody you know the world is just scrutinizing everything about you and you know whether you're a person of color or you know a little young trans kid figuring your stuff out and you don't owe anybody anything you can be and become whatever the hell you want and it's fine and it's awesome it's beautiful that's the world I'm working on. So we get to the present like that's kind of the nature of the work I do. You know, I'm not like this transgender focused advocate you know so much of the work i do is around social justice and racial justice and that climate justice and it's also very intertwined um but you know personal thing for me is transgender kids you know they're under attack right now 
not even trans kids, just kids. I mean, that's the thing. You don't, yeah, you don't, you don't know, you don't know your kid is transgender until they tell you, and they might not tell you until they're in their forties or fifties if they have an oppressive and you know damaging upbringing, a non-supportive family. Um, so, yeah, it's wild. Our youth are our, our youth are really weaponized right now, and all these kind of like frustrating adult political battles that we're having. Well, I think when we hear you know, your story, Molly, and, and look back at the journey that you've been on. And of course, we're just getting, you know, the 15 minute snippet of, of Molly's history. It's, it's pretty easy to understand why you've taken the platform that you have and have been such an advocate in this space. Um, as you look forward, I mean, there's a lot that you can say for what you've been doing over the last two years, but but what are some of the things that you're looking forward to most as you're moving forward in your advocacy work? Ooh. <clears throat> Not going to lie. It feels a little bleak right now with yeah. just the sheer number of states and bills, mm-hmm. pieces of legislation that are turning into these just like crazy laws, banning healthcare, making it a felony to provide healthcare to my, like to trans folks it's i mean there's just crazy stuff i started thinking about this and it just is exhausting uh, reading about like you know florida redistricting all this stuff to basically disenfranchise black voters and it's like it's wild it's exhausting um what i am really looking forward to and hopeful for and i've been seeing it for a while i think cycling in any discipline just bike industry the cycling is not even the industry aspect, just the culture of bikes and cycling and the sport of cycling is so well positioned. I really do. It's not because of my, you know, my whole life work, life's work is invested in cycling. I really do look around. I'm like, cycling is like the most well positioned to change and to kind of accept. I don't even want to say different identities, you know, but cycling is really is for all and it's easy to be for all like you know at any elite level of sport everything is in the binary gender at this point not right i'm I'm, I'm kind of talking in absolutes but you know if you look at basketball well there's men's and women's basketball you look at whatever you know pole vaulting or you know athletics or running any any sport really is split into these like binary gender categories um but cycling you know, there's not a lot of elite level sports where there's crossover. And then, you know, now you look and you saw at Big Sugar, you saw we had the women's road race national champion, a world level rider. And then me, a like hack world level rider that's done men's and women's races. And then we had some other, you know, professional level dude. And we're all in this breakaway together at Big Sugar, you know, and battling it out. Um it's just like you can go and ride bikes with anybody you know you're never gonna go and like play a basketball game with lebron james or you know any WNBA player it's just not gonna happen like whereas like we can hop in races and big events and really cycling's just so accessible in that way you know a pro can be in town and you can go on a group ride i know one of the things i've been excited about and doing is showing up at a lot lot of lifetime events Mm -hmm. and like showing up at steamboat and showing up at the belgian waffle rides and we're doing all these group rides with folks and getting people that are you know you don't have to be a pro bike racer to come and enjoy cycling with each other like i feel like cycling is also so willing to embrace like 
differences and and you know it's not really it's not doing any damage at all to the sport of cycling or to the culture of cycling i don't know i'm excited I, like that is what i'm excited about is how ready and willing kind of the infrastructure of cycling is really able to adapt and roll with change and listen to criticism and feedback and go oh, okay you know even in like uh racial diversity you're just seeing these like really big productive steps being taken like I say this stuff and, you know, I'm constantly criticizing here, this little voice back in my head, we can do more, like, we can do more, we can do more and we can do it better. Yeah. People are making missteps left and right all over the place. And mm-hmm. there's still plenty of people and brands and athletes that are haters, you know, that are bigots and misogynists and racists and transphobes. Right. But it just doesn't really fly, you know? And I just, I just see the possibilities in cycling and that's what I'm excited about. And I can now say the last week we spent at Sea Otter and I've been in, I kid you not, I, I drove the hour or two up here to Petaluma to stay at Yuri's house. And I've just been in phone calls and meetings and like laying out the rest of this year and next year nice. with really, really cool, exciting stuff and the events and, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm excited about that, that we just have this killer platform that's fun and just so happens to be what I've dedicated my life to doing and being a part of. And, you know, whether I keep racing as a professional or I just, you know, start, you know, I've done a lot of different things and, you know, uh, having been a retailer and a coach and running a professional team and doing marketing and doing product testing and just little, just so much stuff. Cycling so open to change in so many ways. I mean, I have an electric bike now. I have an electric e-gravel bike. What the hell is that? <laughs> Never in my last like 20-something, 30 years in cycling would I ever have guessed that like, what? And I, it's a blast. Like, I love it. And I just like can't wait to advocate for that, right? I'm like, I just want more people to embrace this. I know we've got some political hurdles. There's trail access issues. Believe me, I've had plenty of commuters on e-bikes buzz me when I'm going 10 miles an hour and they blast by at 30. There's problems we can overcome, but like cycling so ready and willing to address all of this stuff and, and move forward in ways that work for like most people and not like all people. Shut up. <laughs> that's what yeah. I'm excited about. It's, it's yeah. vague in general, but I'm really excited about cycling. I mean, being at Sea Otter reinvigorate, I needed to go. I almost didn't go. Like, I know you almost didn't go. I just, you know, uh, the last year was a lot. I'm still struggling with yep. my mental health and what I took on last year. And, and I was like, no, I'm going to go. I'll just, I'll just see it. I don't know. It might be too many mountain bike bros. I don't know. And I went and there were so many people of color and women and queerdos and trans folks <laughs> and like, and, and just like straight up just women, like everywhere I went, it's not that these brands are like rolling out these women to now, okay, we're going to put we're going to put Christy at the front for a lifetime. And we're going to put all the, you know, all these uh, Fiona at Specialized and all these people at front. No, they're just in positions, decision-making positions, leadership positions. And they're just there working and doing their thing. And that was huge for Sea Otter, for the lifetime Sea Otter. Like the Grand Prix is huge and, and a big deal. That's like the biggest thing happening in any kind of bike racing in North America right now. And then Sea Otter for me personally was like a home run in every single way. Um, I'm like, let's just have more of that. And it's, yeah. it's not even this radical thing. It's just like, that, you need yeah. a shirt that says that let's just have more of that. Ooh, that's actually- <laughs> Seriously. I think you're I mean, so right though. Cause like I was talking to Rachel McBride, I know them through triathlon and we were talking about 
you know, the, the Grand Prix series and how they got in, they were trying to decide and just like triathlon is not going to have these conversations for 10 more years if they ever get around to having them. And I think Rach just saw, this is probably a place that I can make an impact Mm -hmm. much more quickly, you know, like they're going to talk about it kind of in triathlon, but not to jump in, like, you know, literally looking at, at the commitment that Lifetime's making in this specific space is, is that we know, like, as we're, as we're going through these conversations that we're going to make mistakes and there's going to be missteps, but we need our, we need allies and partners, um, and advocates, not only helping us, but then there to like correct and support and continue helping make all of these changes happen. Um, you know, I think Rach has been a huge, um, help in that space as have you Molly. And I just, you know, super grateful. I think it's it's happening. Yeah. In cycling. uh, In cycling. (laughs) That's exactly. I think it's happening. (laughs) We should have a shirt that says that. Like, I want more of that. I think it's happening. Like it is happening. (laughs) It really is happening. Like I don't maybe you can edit this out, but because it might not really be relevant, but like you know, lifetime's not paying me. And you know, nobody in Arkansas, it's just funny. There are these kind of these like new things. There's so much focus on Northwest Arkansas and Benville, Benville, Benville. You know, everybody's like, oh, it's the mountain biking world capital. And and sure, the powers that be there are spending a hell of a lot of money promoting their region and their state. And then, you know, even Lifetime, Lifetime's a completely new brand or thing, like to most people in cycling. And I can say like both of those things. I'm just relating because I feel like lifetime being so involved and getting involved in like, you know, scooping up a lot of these events and then creating this Grand Prix out of thin effing air. Nobody else is going to do it and no one else did it. It is what it is. There's plenty of criticism and haters. I mean, believe me, like as excited as so many people were, I heard plenty of people that were just like, oh, (laughs) same thing with Northwest Arkansas and Benville. People that go there, you know, like, it is what it, again. I'm from the south. I love the south. It is small little southern town, southern towns. I mean, Fayetteville, Rogers, Bella Vista, Benville, but it's the south, right? Not for everybody, but they're like, I always just like I tell people they're doing it right. Like, a they're trying, they're really legitimately trying. They're not, it's hard to say they, right? And I'll just say it vaguely, they, because there's like tours and boards and there are the, there's the Walt family and there's foundations and there's like all sorts of stuff, movers and shakers and orgs down there. They're all trying to do it right. When they're like, we want to work on racial diversity. They don't just like get a boardroom full of white folks together. They're go, okay, how do we do this right? right? And they like talk to people of color and they're like, we don't know what the hell we're doing. We need help. Are you willing to help? We'll compensate you really well and f- more than fairly and then you know like we're gonna follow your lead because yeah we're we're like we're just some fucking southern boys and we don't know what the hell we're doing and, and that's what like it's so hard for me to translate because i'm like hey i'm not getting paid by lifetime i'm not getting paid by anybody from arkansas but i do want to like sh- you know kind of like broadcast to all the haters and critics like i do feel like these two different totally separate organizations and companies and you know businesses are really trying to do it right and when you try to do it right you are gonna make mistakes and you're gonna make small mistakes and then you know what there's always the risk you're gonna make really huge damaging mistakes Mm -hmm. um 
you know, when people engage in discussions with me, certainly on the internet, oh, cancel culture, blah, 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 you know, you're so woke and all this stuff. I'm like, no, man, like, it's okay to fuck up. I'm going to make mistakes. You know, I'm absolutely going to make mistakes. <laughs> I grew, I am white and I grew, I'm white. I grew up with a lot of homophobia. I grew up in the church. You know, I grew up in the South. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't have this like woke upbringing. This is all stuff I figured out in my late twenties. Right. right. So even I'm new to this. And also like I'm an older trans person, you know, like I came out and started dealing with my identity in the late nineties, which is like, you know, there are plenty of older trans men and women and folks out there. I didn't know what non-binary was until like, I don't know, a handful of years ago. Right. Like truly, like I knew there were third genders. Like I knew this stuff through study and through stuff, but what non-binary identities and communities and people are doing now is like, light years ahead of what I knew of the reality of the world, even five or six years ago, you know, and even the language is new to me. So like, I keep all this stuff in mind. Like I also, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe I'm too forgiving too, but I'm like, I've been around, I've been around a lot of different cultures and scenes and I don't believe in like purity of politic or, you know, purity of ethic, you know, and holding, you know, you want to hold, especially businesses and orgs, you know, you do want to hold them to task. And, and even me, I'm like, take me to task, like point out the ways that I'm, you know, being unconsciously racist or, you know, not doing or saying the right things or things that may be damaging or harmful because I need to learn and grow. But, you know, I'm giving as much, as much generosity and space for mistakes as I want. Right. I'm like, I want to be able to make mistakes and, and learn and grow from them. And so, that's the heart of what I try to put out there is like, I'm here for all of us. We all got to do this together. You know, like there are going to people who be, whose minds we cannot change. And I'm not going to like waste tons and tons of time, waste everyone's time and energy, you know, trying to change the hearts and minds of people that really are not going to budge. And that can be challenging. Right. As like stepping, knowing when to step back, And then also like that's especially when it's family or friends or business relationships, sponsors, you know, if someone's doing stuff that you ethically don't agree with and you try and navigate it and it doesn't go anywhere and you try more and it's not going anywhere. Like that's a a big form of loss. And there's a whole process with that, you know, dealing with people you may have known for a long time or even brands and sponsors and businesses. And you're like, I can't align myself with this anymore. I don't wish them ill. I don't want harm to come to them, but it is this big, like, I mean, I, I, some actor, I hate that she said it, but I can't even remember who it was, said it, you know, it was like with the um, COVID stuff and vaccines and she was speaking to that specifically. And it was just like, yeah, this is just a loss. Like you're losing these friends and people you love from your lives because they believe in like stuff that isn't real. Right. These conspiracy theories, you know, and, and are fighting for this. And it, you know, you can't convince conspiracy theorists Oof, this is a tangent, but it's something I'm actually <laughs> kind of fascinated in the like de-radicalization of so much of what Americans are doing. Like, I don't care if it's Fox News or CNN or whatever. There's so much dis and misinformation out there. I'm so lucky that my my dad, my close family and my close friends, you know, we can disagree about stuff, but they're not so bought into these like really far out there conspiracy theories. I'm very, very, very lucky. And it would just be so hard for me if like my dad was a right-wing kook and buying into some wacko vaccine nonsense. Yeah. It would be really hard. 
I've been very privileged and fortunate that like most of my, you know, close family and circle of friends and everything are, I mean, they're not all totally politically correct and woke, but you know, they all kind of pay attention to science and, and logic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love all the things you're saying and I love the way you're approaching things. Cause I think so many people, especially our age, like we're about the same age, I'm a little older than you, but not much, mm-hmm. but, um, oh. but like I was, I was actually riding in the car. I was visiting a friend and she has a 15 um, year old and I, she, the 15 year old was talking about their friend, and my, my friend, the adult was like, Oh, their friend is non-binary. So you use they, you know, they, them pronouns. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah. the, like, it's normal. That's the, her world as a 15 year old, but like in our world, you know, it wasn't normal. And I could probably kind of same as you, like, I didn't even know what a transgender person was until I was probably in my twenties. And I wasn't like, I'm a straight white woman. Right. Like I didn't have any of those. So, um, so I think like giving people the grace to be on a journey and letting them learn and grow and sharing stories and also saying like everybody should be treated with kindness and respect, even if you don't agree with, yeah, you know, some things yeah. like pe- people are people and they deserve kindness. And like, we all know what it's like to feel like we've been left out or that we don't belong at times and take that by a thousand, right. When, because of the color of your skin or your sexual identity or whatever, you felt like you've been rejected. So I just really appreciate the way that you've, you frame this conversation it kind of makes me teary. Well, I really, <laughs> I love it. Molly's <laughs> making people cry. <laughs> no, just the point about being on a journey. And maybe that's like, it just struck me that, I mean, that's what cycling is at its core. You right. hop on a bike and you ride, even if you go a block that's a journey and a lot can happen in that one block of riding. I mean, a million things could happen good and bad. You get hit by a car or somebody from a car could wave at you and give you a bouquet of flowers. Like who knows? But uh, I think that's why, like that might be the heart of why cycling is so well positioned to embrace this because life is a journey and like cycling's a journey. You're not really in cycling. If you're not riding bikes, it doesn't matter if it's a bicycle an e-bike a hand cycle, right? A tricycle doesn't matter. But when you're on wheels, like you're taking a journey, and like that might be part of it. Is like cycling is just constantly this transitory thing. Oh, there's a metaphor in here somewhere about <laughs> being transgender <laughs> and cycling. But you know, cycling. I feel like TED Talk coming on for you there. Yeah, oh, I agree. this is great. Actually, this is great. I should really think about that because it. I'm I'm driving to LA. I don't know, maybe a little later tonight or tomorrow morning. And it's a six or seven hour drive, and I'm like, I mean, I'm queuing up my podcast and what I'm going to listen to, and then I'm also like, oh, man, I need to give myself a couple key things to really think about while I'm driving. Um, yeah, how cycling is, is like this form of transition, like you're transitioning from you know start to finish, and the, you know th- that doesn't have to be everything, and that's a good metaphor for like being a trans person, you know, like it's not an a, it's not always an A to B thing. That's just one part of your journey, you know, and then you can go through traditional transition and get gender surgery if you so choose or not take hormones or not, but your life continues on and wow. Cycling. Boom. 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 All that cycling. (laughs) Well, I know you've got a lot of races coming up and events that you're going to be at on your calendar for 2022. Um, Can you just tell us like the next couple of them that you've got on the docket and then also where people can find you on the socials? 
to track you down? <clears throat> yes. Well, I'll start with that. Um, my social media, almost all of it is at the Molly Cameron. Um, and, you know, I didn't even mention, I, I started an advocacy org called RIDE, Riders oh, Inspiring yes. Diversity and Equality, which, you know what, we can talk about this another time, but my, you can contact me at Molly, M-O-L-L-Y, at ridegroup.org. I'm going to change that to rideadvocacy.org because the ride group is confusing everybody. So I got to do that soon. I have a website, mollycameron.com. I take photos. I'm starting a podcast. Like there's a lot of cool stuff happening. And that was why the last four days of post sea otter have been insane. It's like, I really needed that. I needed that jolt of like positivity, pro bike racing, kids on bikes, just bike riding and seeing the community and just seeing like, okay, this is absolutely worth living for. This is like, I'm back. Like I really, really needed it. I was struggling with my relationship with certainly pro bike racing and bike racing, but events and everything. So um, I do work for Shimano and had a big meeting today with my Shimano fam. And they're really excited that I'm helping them navigate all this new world. And I'm really excited about that. It's slow. It's, it's so hard because it's so slow. And when you have like, again, every day, I feel like we wake up and there's some new offense, you know, there's like all this anti-abortion stuff. Roe v. Wade's looking like it's going to get overturned. And there's like horrible things happening. And I feel the urge to like fight so hard every day. And it's really upsetting. But then I'm also like, you know, I can't fix everything and I can't take it on myself. I mean, there's, you know, you two and plenty of other allies and other brands and businesses. So I'm excited. Anyways, not to talk about Shimano too much. I'm really hyped on what they're doing, but part of that is they're helping me get to more events and, you know, and certainly like Lifetime and I mean, even folks in Arkansas and all these other states are really fired up about like learning and listening and engaging and seeing how we can all help each other. I mean, right. Like a friend of ours in the industry said, we just want to do this. all this is like doing really good stuff with our friends. Like that's yeah. what the bike industry is truly. And, so let's see, I'm going down to Belgian waffle ride in a couple weekends. Um, and at this point I will be racing. They have an e-bike, e-gravel race at BWR, I think for the first time ever. And now that I have a Niner e-gravel bike uh, and I have a little injury, so I haven't really been riding or training much. So um, the great thing about the e-bike is I'm going to use it as a rehab tool. So it'll help me like rehab this uh, muscle tear and get back up to speed. Um, and then let's see, um, I'll be up for, Cascade Gravel Grinder is a three-day race. It's one of the uh, breakaway promotions in Oregon. So I'll go back up to Oregon. And then like like many, Unbound for the first time ever. I've never been to Unbound. I've never been to Emporia. I'm really, really, really. And even talking to, uh, I was talking to a Shimano today. I was like, you've never been? Oh my God. Like, this is going to change your life. So like, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. I'm so ready. Like, so Unbound. Uh, big sugar in Northwest Arkansas, go to, for, to rule of three in Arkansas, oh, yeah. um, which is an awesome event. Um, and um, gosh, there's so many, the last best ride in Montana, just Sarah's event. Um, I actually crusher and the tusher got tossed out there. And it's one of those that like, I've never been to, and it sounds just brutal. It sounds like it's all climbing and just brutal. But I was like, you know, maybe why not there's event there's stuff in vermont i'm excited about uh in nebraska is a uh, grounded gravel mm -hmm. i'm gonna go to um and i think you'll love this 
So I'm friends with the Rome Rides women and they're amazing sure. and they're doing amazing stuff on the mountain bike side and, and on the women's and the, you know, the gender non-conforming side. There's a lot of really exciting stuff happening in the mountain bike space with young riders, like young girls, young women. I mean, just the women's side, trans, nothing like transgender, nothing like just the women's and girls side of mountain biking is insane right now. Like there's some young girls hitting jumps and gaps that are bonkers. <laughs> It's like, and I, like, I'm not jumping anything. I keep my wheels on the ground, but I want to go with my cameras and my microphone and like, just document some of this and hype up that scene. So uh, the Rome rides in Sedona is the same week in a spirit world. And I'm pretty sure that, sorry, Ash and Andy, I'm pretty sure that I decided, you know what? I really, really need to get to Patagonia, Arizona and check it out and ride my bike. So I may um, try to put the wheels in motion to be at spirit world late in the fall. And then I think, a couple, if not all four of the BWRs, I think I'm going to try to do all four of those. I, I say all this, I'm trying to say no to more. <laughs> so I, I can be more effective at fewer things because last year I burned myself out. Well, I went I don't so think, hard. I, mean, I think, Molly, that the other thing too is that just because you go to these doesn't mean you have to jump on your bike and, and do the big events either. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much to say in just being present in the community and it doesn't mean, I mean, obviously you're there, you're going to want to ride your bikes, but if you're, it's, it's one of those things. Like, I think the fact that you've got the e-bike now too, is going to be helpful in that, that you don't have to, you don't have to spend yourself with the mental, emotional toil that being doing this takes. And then also add the physical toil on top of it. Just saying. We, you actually, <laughs> Hey, I just want to say you're a really good source of support for me at Big Sugar last year. And you kind of pulled me aside and you were, you were like, Hey, you know, you don't have to take this all on yourself and you have allies and take a, you know, everybody's been like, take care of yourself, take space, you know, take care of your mental health and all this. Um, these fights you were like, this isn't, I mean, I've known this too. Like these struggles have been around for a long time. I'm not the first person to be, you know, advocating for the LGBTQ community, but it's a, there's a slow, like this work is slow right. work. And I really struggled with like giving a shit about pro bike racing, about me training, you know, going and doing a five hour training ride, doing 20, 25 hour weeks on the bike training really struggled with that. And honestly, being at sea otter, I, seriously, it took, I mean, it's April. It took, we got through cycle cross worlds in Arkansas and that was a huge success and a really big show of support for the transgender community, certainly in Arkansas, but like really across the world, the whole world, you know, having those ride transgender pride wristbands on the podium at worlds at a world championship side event um, was huge. I got through that. And then I was just like, I don't know how much more I can take. I went so hard. And then really being at sea, you know, the lifetime sea otter last week was like a breath. I needed that. It reinvigorated a, my desire to be an athlete and that like, it's okay to care about bike racing. And it's actually kind of important for me to still be out there, you know, whatever my results are, but just being at a high level and getting it back in shape. And I was like, you know what? I can, I struggled with it when trans kids are dying and truly like having healthcare taken away. And like now, you know, again, now things just seem to be getting worse. Like, you know, there's a felony to provide abortion. It's a felony to provide healthcare to a trans kid. Like, are you kidding me? Um, but I can't solve all that on my own. So I'm like back in a place where I'm like, okay, you know what? I got some new Niner bikes. I'm going to ride mountain bikes a bit, bunch more this year. I'm going to get back to it start putting in the hours on the bike. Cause I need that balance. Last year was no bike riding and then showing up to events and just, you know, I was miserable trying to ride these hundred mile events with no training. So 
I'm going to get back to centering myself mentally and spiritually around cycling, you know, cause it's good. Again, I've been saying how beautiful it is. And I'm like, right, I need to get back in shape. Um, and it's okay to do my thing. And that's okay. You know, I really felt a lot of guilt training. I mean, I would go on a bike ride and be like, what am I doing? And I would just turn around and I'd ride for, it feels great to ride. But then I would just be like, I need to be answering emails and advocating for people and doing the work and moving policy forward. And I'm like, okay, okay, take a breath, Molly. It's okay to ride your bike and there's value in that. So Sea Otter really helped and I'm hyped. So I'm headed back down to LA now. I'm exciting. I can't, I'm not going to, we're working on a film project around uh, sport and gender. It's not just a transgender focused thing, but it is a lot about gender dominance in cycling and sports specifically. And we're working on a film project and uh, we're going to start filming at BWR in San Diego in a few weekends, nice. um, which will be That's exciting. Yeah. Really killer. And then I think we will have this, the film crew at uh, more events, not just BWRs through the year. And I'm going to start a podcast. So, Got a lot going on. I'm tired for you. This this is going to air. This what this this will air in what two weeks? So yeah, we will actually. Perfect. Our team will be flying to Bentonville for our gravel festival that day, which is the same week as um, BWR. I know San Diego. Right, it's a bummer. I know, and you can't like. There's literally no way not to schedule things on top of each other these days. I know we're trying to wrap up, but I've got to tell you this quick story, and we got to record it. I'll make it as quick as possible. I'm so sorry, but this is relevant. I love it. This is like a, this is what happens in the bike industry. And this is both a problem in the bike in cycling in the bike industry, and also a reason and an illustration on how and why there's so much room to change. And it's great. So envy has been, I've been an envy athletes from the first year they ever started. So I'm family with those guys and envy was having rides from the, the lifetime sea otter expo area from the envy booth at 2 PM, a couple days. And so one of, you know, I showed up to these rides, one of the rides, you know, um, a person showed up and I asked them, you know, Hey, with hey, I'm Molly. And they gave me their name and, and I asked them what their pronouns were. And, you know, me being an elite athlete, also an out of shape elite athlete, but I was like, Oh, all these other fast dudes are showing up to do this envy group ride and we're going to ride around. And I could tell that this person was new and a new ish cyclist and also not an elite level cyclist. We had talked a little and they were like, yeah, you know, this is, I'm kind of new to this, blah, blah, blah. So it's fine. We, we roll out and this is typical for bike racing. I mean, again, this is the girls gone gravel podcast. You're going to see this happen all the time. You meet up for a group ride at a coffee shop. doesn't matter where you live in the U- North America. And there'll be like, you know, a dozen guys and one or two girls or women, you know, and the guys want to hammer and they drop everybody. This is a generalization. <laughs> But it it's the bike. It's their bike race. You won the group ride. <laughs> so we roll out for this ride. But again, bike industry talk like, hey, I'm an NV athlete. I'm here to like, every, I want to make this welcoming for everybody, right? My agenda, again, it's not a transgender agenda. I'm like, this is inclusion for everybody, whether you're, um, you know, a person of color or you're a visibly queer or trans person or just a woman or even a dude that's riding real slow, whatever. I'm here to make you feel welcome and a part of this thing. The ride takes off. It was great. It wasn't, it actually was really metered and, you know, it, everybody was pretty conscious about it, but it was clear that this woman was not going to be able to hang at all with these folks. And so I turned to the ride leader and I was like, I got this. I'm going to ride with this person. It's great. This is what I'm here to do. So we're riding. We're on like gravel bikes with smallish tires and we go on these like mountain bike trails and I'm checking in on them, on her. Uh, hey, you're doing good. How much more do you want to ride? You know, I can do whatever. And they're great. They're in great spirits. 
So we go down this like ripping, sandy, technical, crazy descent. And I, I have to wait a little bit because they walk a couple things, but I'm not like waiting for 10 minutes. They get to the bottom and, and I'm like, okay, how you doing? You know? And they're, oh, great. It's just, this isn't the first time ever riding my gravel bike. And I'm just like, honey, are you kidding me? We just did 45 minutes. This is not gravel. This is like sketchy, sandy, loose, rooty, blown out mountain biking. No, this isn't like a black diamond trail, right? But this is like hard. And you're Especially on, on a gravel skinny, bike. Yeah. Rigid, skinny tire gravel bike. Your first ride on gravel ever. Oh God, you're killing it. You're doing great. So I'm like, we're going we're gonna to flip it. You know, we've been riding for an hour. And at this point, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to flip it. We're taking this gravel road just back. But you have to climb back up the steep hill to get back into Laguna Seca. Steep gravel hill. And so, like, she starts walking, you know, and I was like, you good? We're riding together. And she's like, I'm going to flop this. I'm like, cool, no problem. So I'm, like, doing hill repeats on my, uh, I didn't have my e-bike. I was just riding a regular bike. And I'm, like, riding up the hill and then turn around, come down and riding back up and catching up, you know. And we're just, like, having a good time, like, good spirits, right? And we get to the top, and I can tell that they're, like, gassed, like, just tired. And we're rolling back into Laguna Seca. And I'm like, okay, cool. Oh, hey, I'm over here in disabled parking. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll roll you back over to your car. Yeah, I'm over here in disabled parking because this is also my first ride back from um, getting diagnosed with heart disease. And I just was like, sugar, holy crap, you killed it. You just did a two-hour bike ride. First time ever riding gravel on a really hard, technical, sketchy mountain bike trail. And this is your first ride back from having heart disease. Like, And that was amazing. So what it was for me was like, A cycling industry brands need to have contingency plans in place and when they put together group rides like they need to truly you know yeah. hey it's not all going to be fast bike racer bros that show up there will be one or two or a bunch of riders that doesn't matter if they're men or women or trans folks or what they like you know may or may not have heart disease and want to come and join this thing that you're doing and that wasn't really in place like sure had i not been there i'm sure that someone would have like you know come back but that wasn't the spirit of the ride you know and then you know, having that in place that like, if you, we really want to make bikes for all, you know, we kind of need to like have some expectations and a game plan for that. And I was happy. I was there for that, to be there for this woman's first gravel ride. It was so crazy. Like I honestly, even talking about now, I'm like, I can't believe she rode some of the shit. I watched her ride. I had no experienced mountain biker people, men and women that wouldn't have ridden some of the stuff that she just bombed down. And I'm just like, amazing and what her experience would have been like if you wouldn't have been there right like yes exactly Exactly. i think like that's that's that goes back to the whole conversation of like everybody sorry my dog is like whining but every (laughs) everybody like everybody wants to be included everybody wants to feel like they are welcome and have a space yeah Um, Envy said that I actually, when we got done and I went back to the booth and they asked how, you know, they, the first thing they said was like, Hey, thank you so much. Because they saw, um, you know, my, my buddy who works in Edme and was like, Hey, I saw that moment of like, this is the person that needs to feel included. And I could tell that like, as these fast guys were rolling off and they weren't Envy employees, it was just the people that had showed up for the ride from, you know, that were there from Sea Otter. I felt that slipping away that this person wasn't being included on this, you know? And so we both like, were made this person feel welcome and included and that's like huge right because if their first experience was like oh this sucks and i just got left for dead you know out on these sketchy trails and gravel sucks so the reason i bring it up is because she's coming to your gravel event in arkansas in two weeks oh awesome well we'll have to tell tell her we 
had this whole story about her on the podcast. You should <laughs> should I, I, you should bring it up. I'll, I'll off off podcast. I'll give you her name. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it was amazing, and I'm super proud of her. That was insane. Well, I think a good challenge for this podcast for everyone is to look for ways to to make everyone feel welcome and included, yeah. and to follow Molly and support her work. <laughs> Awesome. So thank you so Thanks, much for Molly. your time today. This has been so, so yeah. great. Thanks both of you. And I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is awesome. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.